So you're upset about this particular thing, or you want to see change around gun reform in the country. Let's do some quick education, hopefully in a few sentences, or maybe a short form video that allows you to understand that these are actually the state legislative chambers across the country that are within a few seats of of going one way or the other, right? Where can we break a trifecta? Where can we get a chamber majority such that this will actually help us do gun reform in new places or pick another policy of your choice? Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guests today, Taylor Orada and Brian Derrick, are co-founders of Oath, which aims to be a political advising and giving platform that empowers Democratic donors to maximize their impact. Taylor was formerly a data analyst and product leader in the commercial world, and Brian, a political strategist and fundraiser. It was very enjoyable to talk to them about what they're building with Oath. You should listen. So, after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Brian and Taylor at Oath. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Taylor and Brian, would you each mind introducing yourselves and giving me quick biographies? Absolutely. My name is Brian Derrick. My background is in campaign finance. As a fundraiser and and campaign manager, I've worked to help elect Democrats up and down the ticket all over the country. And before that was in the nonprofit space, doing fundraising for organizations like Lambda Legal, the LGBT civil rights organization. And hi there, I'm Taylor Orada. My background is more in the data and technical consulting space. And so I've spent my career building reporting platforms and other sorts of insight tools and products. And I have really enjoyed getting to collaborate and come together with Brian to, to bring tech and big data tools to, to political fundraising. How do you know each other? So Brian and I met at Ohio State our freshman year. Probably in, in the first few weeks, we're involved in a lot of the same organizations throughout our time there, including a dance marathon where we started fundraising together for the first time and then have just stayed close friends for over a decade and have been together in New York for five years. So it's it's been great to see each other grow and learn. And, and Brian went political route and then I went the tech route. So great to bring our, our complementary skills together. That's great to have a collaboration that goes back that far, that goes back to college. And when I talk to founders or uh, people running companies in general, partnership is one of the real places that people have difficulty. It is very hard to to treat the other person fairly or find another person that you can trust or 
just live with in the intensity of a startup or ongoing business environment. I assume this is giving you guys a leg up that you've built a relationship over time. I think that's right. And I know it can be a challenge for a lot of people to build something with someone that they are very close with or that they've known for a long time because it adds a lot of new dimensions to the relationship and can bring up new stress points and things like that. But Taylor and I have worked on projects together really from the beginning of our friendship. We've always shared a passion for philanthropy, for like social impact work. And so even before we started this journey together that is a very formal partnership and has become our, our full-time employment, we've always had a really collaborative relationship. And so it felt very natural for us to work together on creating the solution. What's the first time that one of you started thinking about the idea that becomes Oath? Oh, wow. I think that I created a Google Doc called Oath in like 2018 or something, like a long time ago. And Taylor and I, I specifically remember being on the West Side in, in New York and like sitting on a park bench and talking about this. Probably that was 2019, maybe 2020. The idea has been there. The seed was planted many years ago. It's changed in what it, it constituted, but we saw the need for this kind of civic tool for like the everyday activist and donor and everyday person rather than building a tech tool for campaigns or for organizations. Like we were always very interested in how this type of platform could be used for individuals to shape their impact in the political system. And so you can really see that in Oath's evolution over the last couple of years that we really were trying to figure out exactly what it is that people would use and find helpful to maximize their impact. If you created a Google document called Oath, there must be a reason that you wanted to name this Oath, which doesn't come to me immediately, why it's a fit. Explain that. My take on the the title is that the, the goal was for the platform to incorporate every office from president down to dog catcher. And the one thing that all civil servants have in common is that they take an oath of office, that there is this standard to live up to and a mission like built into the work that they're doing. And that that mission is to like improve our communities for the, the sake of the country. And I thought that that was like a powerful symbol of like what unites all of these offices, whether it's hyper-local or the most powerful elected office in the world, is that we should all have a say in who's serving in those positions. And we think that there should be better tools to help individuals get people who they trust and share values with into those offices. Taylor, how did he talk you into that name? Just explain what is Oath? What can you do? And do you spend a lot of time swearing about it? <laughs> yes. So I don't think he had to talk me into the name. In its original conception, it, it made sense. Some things have happened around the word oath in the last few years. You're not oath keepers. But it is important and it's important to have access to this type of, of data across all of these offices and everyone who's taking an oath. So yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. But to talk more about the platform and, and what it offers donors, we are a mobile-first, donor-first platform. And so 
we exist to truly make donors' lives easier. We want it to be your one-stop shop to come and find the issues that you care about and quickly see the relative impact of your dollar in specific races. And so what the impact score is doing is showing you the most competitive races that have the highest stakes and that have the highest financial need, really in a simple way that you can apply states and issues to really narrow in on what matters the most to you and share that around with your friends but know that that your dollar is going to have meaning in that race versus what we were tending to see. And as we talk to donors um, over the last few years, there's a ton of attention that goes to these unwinnable races or long shot races, I guess is probably a better word for it, where we really want to win, but it's probably not the best place for us, especially as an ecosystem, to be sending tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars when there are these really competitive local or state races that are being decided by just a few hundred votes. And so giving donors a resource to say, hey, come search a name that you're seeing, see if they actually are in that competitive underfunded race. And if they're not, you can still decide that you you want to give some money there, but we'll also surface for you some of those races that you might not have heard about, just so that donors have resources. Oath is existing to surface the the tools and the analysis that millionaires and billionaires have access to. And we just want to democratize that data and that type of insight for, for donors. You have some analytic background here to apply to making that calculation. Taylor, can you just sort of tell what in your career helped you build the pieces that you're now deploying on this particular enterprise? Yeah, completely. My background is in chemical engineering, but I've never really (laughs) worked as a chemical engineer. So immediately went into the business intelligence and data analytics space. My first job was at Accenture as a data integration analyst. So I spent the early part of my career really learning how to ingest lots of sources of data and create reports for all sorts of very large corporations in the business world, right? This is a very natural process where we take in as much data as we can, we crunch all the numbers, and we create recommendations and tools that help people make informed decisions. And so over the course of the past 10 years, that's really been what I've loved doing is building these data-driven platforms, working with engineers, working with product managers to really simplify and give actionable insight. And that is really what we're bringing to Oath and what we're trying to to bring in this donor-first experience. Brian, how complete is your data at this point? I played around a little bit with a platform searching for states and seeing what would come up and, you know, trying trying some of the issue filters. And I think the concept, as I understand it, which is like, get the most bang for your buck from your dollar makes a lot of sense. It's an idea that's been floating around as long as I've been in the business. And I've seen people take different swings at it. I've never seen a consumer facing version that survived. So, you know, hopefully you will show people how, how we do that address the completeness of the data and and go forward from there. Sure thing. I would say getting the baseline logic in place is not rocket science. Getting a basic understanding of where dollars have utility 
and where they do not is pretty straightforward. It's in that last, and I would consider that about 80% of, of the work is getting people into the right zip code of, of what kinds of races they should be funding based on what they're interested in. I think the last 20% is where we'll spend a lot of time iterating to optimize what the recommendations can really do in that last mile, where there are a lot of different opinions in the space and different variables for us to consider around things like the point of diminishing returns, right? So at what point in a race will money just not have any additional effect? Our algorithm right now is perhaps the most robust of any of the tools that that you're referencing based on the conversations we've had. We want it to be really transparent and not some kind of secret sauce that we're hiding. And so we want to share out what we're using as inputs into the algorithm, how we are thinking about and weighting different factors, and let someone who's really interested and wants to get into the weeds dive into that in a real way. And we will continue to release features and additional sort of breakdowns and and I think fun tools to let people dive into that. Most of our users really just want the simplest recommendation that they know that they can trust. And so we're sharing out enough information that they can build that trust, understand where we're coming from, and land on the right recommendations for them that, that feel personalized. And we've worked with a wide range of experts across the ecosystem to do that. And we're pretty openly accepting feedback on how people think we could be doing it better. Brian, what do you think in your career has been most useful to apply into this new venture? I have worked with donors directly for the last 10 plus years. And I think that has been a huge asset to our team in understanding what donors' frustrations really are and how we will build a tool for them instead of the tool that we wish that they would use. Those are two different things. And you're absolutely correct. People have attempted a model like this before. And I think that's what they often get wrong. Either they're building for themselves or they're building something like aspirational rather than the thing that people are saying they want um, and responding to that immediate kind of feedback. And so that's what we, we, we've, we've been very focused on. And we know that our success will be determined by our ability to achieve adoption. This only works no matter how good the algorithm is. It doesn't matter if no one uses it. Since you've brought that up, maybe you could talk a little bit maybe Taylor about your strategy for getting adoption, because I think you're right. We know what's out there. Like act blue has had a lot of years to be a site that people use for donation and also to put up various suggestions and lead people towards particular donations, not in the same way that you do, but they certainly could, or someone could partner with them to do it including you. I will give an initial response, but adoption is definitely Brian's area of, of the space. But I think at the core of it, we are here and existing as a product company to really create a delightful experience for donors. We did just launch the new platform this week. We already have a backlog of features that are coming directly from our donors. And I think that's something that we're really committed to is building for 
what the donors want and also ensuring that it does feel personalized such that you know, if I really care about climate change in Ohio and Kentucky and Indiana, I'm able to share that with my community and a different donor could have a very different experience. And so starting to create the really personalized paths within Oath so that every donor does want to share it right with their family and friends, because it does feel like the things that they value and like the change that they are trying to, to push for. But Brian, I'll, I'll let you talk a little bit more about adoption. Yeah, that's what gets us really excited, right? <laughs> so we launched the first national version in June 2022. And in our first five months, got over 10,000 donors to use the platform to give over $2 million. And we didn't spend a dime on acquisition of any kind, no list purchases, no ad placements. And we did that by putting out really helpful and oftentimes educational content around where people could really make a difference. And so it was about speaking to the questions that people had in the moment. So whether that was after like a tragedy, like a shooting, and people were looking for some kind of action to take, or if it were after some kind of legislative development, good or bad, that people were responding to and talking about in the news, being able to speak to that issue in a compelling way and tie it back to under the radar, underfunded offices that people could make a difference with a $10 donation was a compelling way to reach people online. And we did so in, in the millions. That seems like one of dozens of things that you could do. And that sounds like it's working and probably double down on that if it is, right? There was a guy who did something that got insertions into newspaper articles. This was for nonprofits, but it was like, if there is an article about a disaster, how can the donation engine land in the Chicago Tribune in the right place as a button that you can push? In the world of politics, if people tend to donate when they're mad, I mean, dad just donated to Adam Frisch because of Lauren Boebert. He lives in Colorado and he's attentive to the representatives there. Tell me some of the things that you're considering or have, have started to do beyond what you just mentioned? Certainly. I think the the main thrust there is you have to meet people where they are. And that, again, goes back to why there hasn't been a platform like this adopted widely is because the build it and they will come mantra doesn't work in this space. People don't wake up thinking about how much money they want to give away to politicians that day. And so you have to meet people in the moment and in the place that they're having that spark of inspiration to take some kind of action. And so we do that on social media. We do that with a lot of influencers and partnerships there. We have some new ones coming out where anywhere that you've built a community that like shares progressive values, um, particularly like texting tools, I think is an opportunity in a rapid response scenario for Oath to have a presence. We also have had a lot of success in, peer, in the peer-to-peer space. So I'm going to give... $50 to this group of candidates that are really key and going to decide the future of reproductive rights in these five states. But I'm also going to share this link with 15 of my friends. And then hopefully features coming soon. Don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but we'll be able to track my network's impact 
as well as just my own. And so really incentivizing that kind of behavior as well, creating opportunities for people to share the platform and not just be users, but also promoters of it and to be able to scale their own impact in the same way. That was part of the question I was just about to ask Taylor. Taylor had mentioned like making this a product that people really care for. And, you know, it's all well and good to to bring someone to a site through all the efforts that you were just talking about. If they don't then like it, find it easy. And if you don't take advantage of the fact that you went to all this work and one out of the million people that you reached came or 10,000 of them and have them become a spreader for you, you've wasted that. You need one person to turn into three people and, and, and grow. Taylor, talk about what you're doing to try to make the site good and viral, I guess. Yeah, totally. Trying to to really just build out the features that allow for shareability and allow for creating a community within the space, right? And so that could be I'm sending my link around and I'm able to track my impact. It could be a bit of a robo-advisor for political donations. And so how can I, with my my own personal interest and the amount of money that I might be wanting to budget, how can I have a tool that is really helping me do that in the most impactful way, right? And so really surfacing for donors, their parameters, right? Maybe, maybe I'm okay with less of my candidates winning if they're in those longer shot races, because that's something that that I want to be able to move the switch on. So the goal will really just be to start to surface a lot of this customization to donors such that they can really make this their own robo-advising tool for themselves as they they continue to, you know, explore the space and and learn something. I think the other piece that we'll really be leaning into is helpful recommendations, right? So as you are donating to certain slates or certain issues or certain states, we're really at the core trying to get rid of spam text and and anything that's alarmist. But we do want to be a space that as things are happening around an issue you care about, you can come to oath and see what is going to be the best action to take in that moment around those issues that, that matter, while also knowing that the rest of the community is is covering these other issues, right? So you can really focus in on on what's top priority for you with the peace of mind that that others are working on some of the other stuff as well. On the donation processing side, there's choices to be made whenever you develop a platform like this. And some people have a business model, which is we will be the processor, the interface to the processor, and we'll take a piece of that and uh, we'll have to pay the credit card company or whatever other uh, tool. And that will be where we make the money that help, helps us have a staff. And, and a number of the big players right now do it that way. Some also add a tip component or have tried to only do it with tips. When someone makes a donation through yours, what does it go through? We do use a separate payment processor. So we are really here to be kind of the insights and analytics layer and then allowing that donor to have an easy kind of payment through um, through our payment processor. So we have a 0% platform cost. There is the, the, the kind of credit card processing fee if a donor chooses to use that, but we found a payment processor that actually has 
I think, the lowest fee that we've seen um, at just 2.99%. And so we're trying to lower those credit card fees. Oath is not taking a cut of any dollar that's being processed on the platform, and we are funded by tips. And so that kind of donor advising fee or however however we want to call it is what is powering kind of this continual analysis and, and creation of new features for Oath. By doing it that way, that sort of sets you up as a competitor to other people who have process, who have a processing relationship, who make their money on the fees. If a substantial number of donations go through Oath, that means they're not going through NGP, they're not going through ActBlue, they're not going through some of the other players that are uh, around and about. Have you received any feedback from the other donation engines? Yeah, we have a great relationship with ActBlue and we're in communication with them on a semi-regular basis. They have expressed to us that they have no interest in entering the advising space and that that's not what they're focused on or what their users want from them. And so it, while Yes, we are sort of an alternative path to completing a donation in the space. It's a massive market, right? Blue alone processed over $5 billion last presidential cycle. And so I don't think that we're causing friction by creating an avenue for donors to really maximize their impact. We've found really great relationships and creative partnerships even with some of the other payment processors in the space and platforms. Oath is doing a bit of vertical integration, right? So from the content creation and the civic education components that I was talking about earlier, all the way through completing the transaction of making your donation, there are different entities doing different pieces of this work at at every layer. And we're here to be a tool for as many people as we can while prioritizing donors. And so um, we're always open to creative ways to work with other people because we really believe that the entire ecosystem benefits when donors are making informed decisions about where to send their dollars. At NGP, when I was running the company many years ago, I had the same question. And for years, I charged no markup on donation processing. I had a competitor at the time, a bipartisan competitor that charged 10% when they first came out. I wanted to distinguish myself from that. I was not practiced in that world at all. And I didn't feel very comfortable with it. And so we charged some monthly for having the tool, which was low and didn't do tips. Later on, it became clear that that was leaving hundreds of thousands of dollars when you just took a very small amount that would enable us to in, to hire several more people and we changed that you said like we're doing it this way do you think that's like a firm thing forever or might you be open to changing it if it would benefit the movement by giving you more resources i mean those are tricky calls sometimes Yeah, I think they really are. And Taylor should feel free to jump in here as well. I guess my thought on it um, is that we will always operate from a place of what is going to benefit our users the most, 
And so right now, that means us focusing on, as Taylor said, the data and analytics layer of how do we make the best possible recommendations to people. If we reached a place where we felt that users wanted or were asking for a different kind of experience on like payment processing or something like that, then that's what we would optimize for because that's what our our users are driving us toward. And if that meant that we need to, needed to grow as an organization in order to meet the needs of those people, then we would want to do that as well. But I think that for the time being, we're very comfortable operating from a place that our revenue is totally like voluntarily generated. It's an optional tip and that we are focused on this additive service of data-driven recommendations. And I think that that will serve us well for the 2024 cycle And we'll just have to be responsive to what our users and donors want moving forward. So Taylor, this is a business, right? It is. Yeah. And I was going to add on to, you know, I think it's all good questions and, and kind of something we'll continue to evaluate as Brian was just saying. I think the other piece that's interesting here, and again, from looking at how tech companies scale and start to create different areas and opportunities for revenue and growth is we're already getting so many requests from donors for more data and more analytics tools, more ability to do this type of planning. And so I think there's also a really great path here that we're working closely with our super users and trying to understand what extra tools and dashboards and things that they want and need and starting to offer some different premium, maybe subscription services, right? We do want to make this data accessible and For most grassroots donors, especially in rapid response moments, we don't want to overwhelm them with a bunch of data and metrics and a million places to click into. But we also are building a system and a database that will have all of that. And so I think there's also a really exciting opportunity here to, again, donor-driven, understand what people are asking for, but look for ways to have more of a deeper dive premium model if people are, are excited about that. I was just thinking about like who would want to share a link to your site, right? Like it's not probably going to be an individual campaign unless they happen to be scored on your impact score super high and maybe are up on your front page or maybe they're, it's because they would probably pass to just their own donation page. It more likely to be a like a party committee in a state or one of the groups that is also in the business of targeting congressional races or state house races or or school district races what kind of conversations have you had with partners of that sort political people political organizations that might might want to advance your mission we're having a lot of really interesting and exciting conversations on that front about partnership To your point, I would say Oath is for donors and anyone who is moving money to someone who is not themselves is like our optimal user. Anytime an organization is doing like endorsements and raising money for individual candidates at any level of the ballot and whether that organization is very, very small and local and focused on the school board races down the street or if they're a national organization, we offer a lot of powerful analytics tools and proven user experience that is going to benefit both them and their donor base. 
we're partnering with organizations like the Next 50 in creative and interesting ways where we offer them the ability to move money very strategically to their portfolio of endorsed candidates. We have real-time analytics on which of their candidates likely need help the most and where they could have a personalized algorithm to do that kind of allocation if a donor wants to see Explain it. that more. One, I don't know the next 50. And two, are you saying that you can take someone else's list and score them on your score or score them on their score and present them in the same way or explain that with more clarity? Definitely. The Next 50 is an organization working to advance the next generation of leadership in elected office. So they endorse, train, and fundraise for candidates under 50 years old all over the country running for different offices. And we've partnered with them on exactly that. They endorse a wide range of candidates. Sometimes it's a young candidate running for a relatively safe seat or in a competitive primary that then has no like real general. And in those situations, it makes sense. It's logical to divert more resources that the organization is bringing in to races that are going to be more competitive, to candidates that are expected to win or lose by a point. And our real-time analysis, because we are pulling data in at every level of the ballot in all 50 states, allows us to make recommendations to them about where they could be focusing within their own portfolio to maximize their own impact as an organization that wants to- So you kind of their score rate. their candidates. Yeah. And and like I saw that you score them up to 10, right? And so they could sort on your score- Right. But they're not providing their own ranking. You're providing a ranking to them based on their endorsement list. That's exactly right. And does that show up on your site where they can say, here's our here's our people on oath ranked? Yeah, exactly. Where you will see that on oath is that if you land on our homepage, you will see a tag or a, a filter for next generation leaders. And so you can, maybe you don't know what the next 50 is, but you can find the shared value, the shared mission to elect more young people. And we will lift up those candidates for you as part of a partnership with the next 50. And so you can imagine the same thing applying to different kinds of climate organizations, gun safety organizations, organizations fo focused on abortion access. And it allows the opportunity for donors who are mission aligned to find the work that you're doing, the candidates that you're supporting, and it allows the organizations to focus as much attention and resources as possible on the most competitive races. Taylor, have you run across Blue Tent? Yes. Yeah. How do you view them from where you are and as overlapping or different? He writes up different organizations and tries to say to what degree they're valuable. There's some overlap in at least in theory of like what David Callahan thinks makes a more valuable donation. It's more for maybe a very wealthy donor. I wondered what your perspective was because there's some similarity. Totally. It is a great resource and it's something that I think exists in the space and, and adds a lot of value. But Brian, I know you've you've kind of worked with Blue Tent a little bit too as well, if you want to share more. Yeah, I think the work that David is and, and their whole team is, is doing is incredible. We've had a lot of great conversations about how to think about this and how to think about strategic investment. And we're excited, hopefully, to roll out some 
partnerships actually in the coming months as well. So stay tuned on that front. A lot of sites on the internet modify themselves according to your preferences over time. If you go to Google News, I see different Google News than you do based on what I've clicked on. It strikes me that if you're very donor focused, that what I saw when I came in maybe ought to be different than what my neighbor does. I'm much more interested in Colorado politics because I grew up there. Maybe I'm more interested in more progressive candidates. Maybe my neighbor is interested in more middle of the road candidates. There's all kinds of things beyond just a calculation of impact in winning the race or not that could be made very individual for donors. What do you do right now and what might you do down the road? This is why we need everyone to start using Oath right away, because nothing gets me more excited than making it to that phase. And I think that that is very much on our product roadmap to be able to personalize it user by user to make sure that we're providing the absolute optimal recommendations to everyone. Because we do believe that whether you're giving $5 or 50000 that you should have access to this kind of data and, and data-driven recommendations. So we've talked a lot about this. We have advisors who have built these kinds of algorithms for Fortune 50 companies, and we're trying to be really thoughtful about how we move in that direction and leverage the data in a really powerful way for individual users. Right now, we score every candidate, as, as Taylor said before, on competitiveness, stakes, and financial need. And the, uh, the most objective pieces there are in competitiveness and financial need. But what the stakes of a race are really depend on your perspective and what you value. And I think that in particular is somewhere that we want to continue to iterate so that ultimately you can see something on the site that is bespoke to you because we understand what your what your values are, what your prioritization looks like, what your candidate preferences are, and that kind of thing. How do you deal with it in a primary? Primaries are tricky. We talk about them a lot at Oath. And I think we want to, again, being donor first, when donors want to play in primaries, are working on what that will look like. Currently on the platform, if you go, we are not surfacing candidates that are in competitive primaries. But it's definitely on the product roadmap to really work with that set of donors that does want to play in the primaries and, and help create a view that, that will help them navigate the, the highest impact of their dollar. Just, just to try to get your thinking about this. So like, let's say there's a Texas congressional race that features a Democratic incumbent who tends to vote with Republicans and a challenger who's very progressive. And it splits the Democratic donor base between how do you think about what Oath would do? Because if you got to the point where a lot of money is flowing and you said, this one person's a nine and this person's a five, then you might get yourself into politics, right? Or you may want to have the platform have an opinion. The more your opinion may be in the general, we want to win. We want to have the most impact on these marginal races. In the primary, we have these kind of preferences, or are you going to avoid that? I think we see ourselves as 
riding shotgun and the donor is in the driver's seat. And we just want to have the best GPS that we can possibly build to help navigate them to where they want to go, rather than putting our our thumb on the scale in those kinds of situations. So I definitely imagine in that very realistic (laughs) scenario that we would be making a recommendation, but I think that we would always differentiate between that type of recommendation and a candidate who is an incumbent running against a a Republican in a general election, I don't think that those would appear next to each other in an undifferentiated way on the platform. It is a different kind of investment, right? To invest in a primary against another Democrat when you're looking to maximize Democratic victories across the country is a different kind of investment. And we would always want to make that really clear to um, the user. So maybe it means that it's on a different scale. It's not on on the one to 10 scale, but it looks a little different. Maybe it just appears in a segmented list on the platform itself. I think there are a lot of ways that we could move forward with it. We want that to be informed by users and user research. People who think about primaries, they probably think about who is the candidate who might most likely win the general election? Who is the candidate who's ide- ideologically closest to me? Who is the candidate who's closest to me on climate change or on civil rights? And a lot of the platforms that have come up over the years that hoped to attract donors and match them to, to candidates have had like a questionnaire for the user where do you stand on on these issues? And then they have made recommendations to you, try to match you ideologically. None of them have done well or lasted that I'm aware of. There's some still going or limping along usually. Is that part of the mix there? I think that there's like a useful application for that kind of user journey, but it is not what our users are asking for or what our acquisition strategy is built on. Like I think we we mentioned before, very few people wake up in the morning saying, what Democrat should I give my money to today? And that type of questionnaire sort of presumes that intent where they're just looking to, to spend money. A lot of money moves through oath when there is a triggering event, some kind of event of national significance or or in a specific state. And People are looking to row the boat in a specific direction on an issue. And that is what we are built for, is to do that in a really strategic way, very quickly. And I think a questionnaire would get in the way of that if it were integrated into our main user experience. But also, it seems like a lot of times, because donations are driven by that kind of news, that is actually where we need someone intervening to not chase the shiny candidate that just became controversial, right? That's exactly right. I'm, I'm bouncing in my chair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you are actually. <laughs> like, that is exactly right. And that is the model that we have built is how do you build something to intervene between the moment of an emotional response and the, the action that a person takes? And how do you divert that into a race that's more strategic? Because Everybody that I talk to who is in the attention-seeking business does that by, or most all everybody does it by chasing the latest hot news. And so it seems like you have to combine a willingness to do that with a purpose of, well, maybe a little bit to that, 
but also these are really important, even if they're small and you're not thinking about them in this moment. That seems to require some deafness, I think. Completely. Yeah. And I think, again, hitting hitting the model nail on the head here, because ultimately, and I think this is something I've had to learn too, like I did not come up through politics, right? And so when I see things like that, or when I saw it a few years ago, it was like, oh, that makes sense. I'm really upset about this news. Something is happening. I want to give, right? And most people see just a handful of names um, and they're usually federal races. I don't like Lindsey Graham. I'm who's his opponent? Oh, he's exactly. Active. We're going to give here million dollars. Exactly. And so that is, I think, as as Brian was talking about the vertical integration, a core part, and and it is a core part of our mission is civic education, right? So you're upset about this particular thing, or you want to see change around gun reform in the country. Let's do some quick education, hopefully in a few sentences, or maybe a short form video that allows you to understand that these are actually the state legislative chambers across the country that are within a few seats of of going one way or the other, right? Where can we break a trifecta? Where can we get a chamber majority such that this will actually help us do gun reform in new places or pick another policy of your choice, but starting to surface those types of candidates. The other piece too that we get a lot of great feedback on is the split donation feature. So when something is happening, we get news, a Supreme Court case has come out, people want to take action. And so saying, hey, there's actually nothing we can do about this one particular court case, but this is moving to the states. And so here are the states where this is really going to be up for discussion in the next year or so, and letting people split a donation across those states, across those candidates that are in those tightest races and that are most underfunded is, I think, something that helps you feel like you're doing something that's actually making a difference. And that's, I think, going to always be a core of our recommendations is what what can we change today? What can we actually influence today? There was a number of, of uh, enterprises that came up after the Trump election, um, Swing Left, sister district flippable which merged with swing left and others the core of what they were trying to do as i understood it was one to figure out what are the key races the close races and direct resources from places they weren't needed to places where they might have impact a lot of times that was much more in the field area but it wasn't only and they drove donations have you talked to those folks can you integrate with what they do? And it's it's also the party organizations like the DLCC or that are trying to figure out where do you get the best bang for your buck? Yes, those are all potential and aspirational partners for us. And I'm sure some of them listen to your podcast regularly. So please reach out to us. We're ready. I think that that is a really exciting opportunity. How we see ourselves in relation to those kinds of organizations are flip sides of the same coin, right? We are trying to be a one-stop shop specifically for donors. A lot of these organizations are additive and are really valuable, but a donor might feel that, okay, to get the recommendations um, on which women I want to help elect, I'm going to go to this organization, and which state legislative races I should support, I'm going to go to this one, and LGBT candidates, this one, and this issue, this one. And it's a really fractured space that takes a lot of research and time in order to sort of optimize your own allocation there. We just want to aggregate. 
We're not trying to replace any of those. We just want to aggregate that in one place to make it very simple for donors. We need to partner with those organizations in order to do that most effectively. So we're really excited about those conversations. Some of them are in the works now and will roll out soon. Some of them we hope to have in the next couple months. One of the things I like about this space is it's interesting to try to build a good product. It's interesting to try to bring people to it and use it, which we've talked about. It's also challenging and not easy to operate as a business trying to do those things. What did you have to do sort of from idea to, I assume, incorporation and money raising and hiring? What's happening on the internal side? Yeah, a lot of really new challenges. Taylor's been in the startup space um, more than me. I'm, I'm really coming directly from politics, campaigns, nonprofits, and a lot of it has been a new and exciting adventure. We structured ourselves the way that we did because, number one, lawyers told us it would enable us to do as much as we possibly could that we were looking to accomplish. And also, we wanted to do this in a sustainable way where if we were reliant on a couple of major funders every two years to continue operations, that could erode trust in the platform, that there could be some perception or the reality of of someone putting a finger on the scale in some negative way. And so we are beholden to our users. And like they are our bosses at the end of the day because we need to optimize for um, the people who are funding the, the platform. We launched two and a half years ago, Taylor and I were both working full-time jobs up until this past summer, just a a couple of of months ago. And now we've been able to grow and hire a staff. We're really excited about all that that has unlocked. As we said, we launched the new platform this week, thanks to that kind of growth. And we hope to hit a inflection point where we are able to just generate our own growth moving forward and sustain that financially and in terms of staffing and all of the challenges that sort of come with being an early stage startup. So be more specific. How much did you raise and from whom? <laughs> we can do that. We can disclose that we raised about 1.6 million over the last year or so um, and, and closed that round this, this summer. And some of that was higher ground? Yeah, higher ground labs led our investment. That's a lot of money for a niche site. I think it's very impressive to have started out like that. What do you think was the thing in the sales pitch that worked? I think everyone is really interested in seeing someone succeed in this space. And I know that they see why and how we are doing it differently than the people who have come before. There's wide recognition that misallocation of resources in the ecosystem is a problem. And I think we're taking a novel approach to how to to fix that and address that. And if we are to achieve scale and reach success, however you want to define that, it would mean a massive change in what the dynamics look like of down ballot races and of fundraising in general for candidates when a lot of competitive races have a baseline of funding from Oath regardless of the candidate's ability to do call time or whether they have a personal network that can raise money for them. People are really excited about what the world looks like when Oath succeeds. 
Were you able to keep a controlling interest in the enterprise? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad of that. What should I have asked you folks that I haven't? And what do you wish I hadn't asked you that I did? <laughs> <laughs> That's the operative one, right? I think that we've covered a lot from sort of the, the impact to our origin story. Maybe one thing that I want people to take away that we didn't get, get too much into was the data privacy component, which is a core tenant of what we do and why we exist. I think that donors are exhausted, that they're getting texts and emails, sometimes dozens a week, hundreds a week. You've promised not to share that data. Right, exactly. What about using it internally? I assume you, you maintain any right to do that, to, to maybe get aggregate intelligence out of it when it scales. I think we're really thinking about this like a a product company that is here to serve the donor, right? So allowing a donor to see their donation history, working as we've talked about on better recommendations so that that donor's experience is is very novel and unique to them and and set up um, to optimize for what they're looking for. I think we'll we'll continue to do that, but we don't share email, we don't share phone number, and we really take data privacy very seriously because we want this to be a donor's kind of home base safe spot where they can come, they can split a donation to 50 candidates, 100 candidates over the course of the cycle and only receive one impact summary email at the end of the election to say, here's who won, here's who lost, and ultimately know that they're not being inundated with those constant requests when they've already been so generous with their their money. Where can people go to use your stuff? Yeah, you can go to oath.vote right now and make your first donation and receive no spam. <laughs> you can also follow Oath on all social media accounts at oath.vote. And you can also follow me at Brian Derrick underscore on Instagram, which is another like primary distribution channel for us and where I do a lot of the civic education that leads back to these sort of investment opportunities. Well, it seems like a fun project and it seems like the kind of thing that if it takes off might really have impact. So I'm honored to have the chance to talk to you about it at this early stage. Is there anything else you guys want to say? No, we're really grateful for the opportunity. We've been longtime listeners and appreciate the great work that you've done um, in the space to sort of pave the way to this point. And we are similarly excited about the potential impact here and always looking to connect with more people to grow what that could look like in the future. Thank you so much for the time. Yes. Thanks to both of you. Those were Taylor and Brian. They are at oath.vote. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere, and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.